The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. It's over. Xbox wins. Yay, Xbox wins. Yay. Stan! You're alive! I saved you! It's okay, Beyonce! The fight's over! You can still shop! Go on, kids. Go get your Xboxes. Happy holidays, guys. What can I interest you in? We'd like to get Xbox Ones, please. Good choice. Tom, the shopping frenzy is over, and it looks like Microsoft's new Xbox One is this year's hot item. No doubt this will secure its place as the go-to next-gen console. Black Friday is over. There's been death, violence, horrible human behavior, and the big winner here, decidedly, is Channel 9 News. Welcome to another episode of HTM Tech, brought to you by the HTM Podcast Network. Also in association with Micropay, located in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. We can be found on Facebook and Twitter by searching at the HTM Tech Pod. You can listen to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and all those other podcasters out there as well. As always, I am Big Joe. And I'm Money Mike, on location in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, and this is going to be our Christmas episode here, too. And uh, as you heard in the beginning, we made a little uh, South Park reference there again uh, with our friends at South Park. This is going back to the beginning of the Xbox One and PS4 console generation. Of course, the kids fighting back and forth, and uh, they end up uh, going, I think they actually end up deciding on Xbox One. At the very end, they they get their, their systems and they start playing, and they go, okay, you know, this is, it is what it is. And then they're like, oh, screw it, video games, we don't need it, we're, we're going to do this. And then that's when they, they debuted the, uh, we don't need video games. And then coming up, the South Park video game, Stick of Truth. So that, that was great. And of course, amidst all the bloodshed and toil, the media always <laughs> somehow wins in the end, right? Yes, absolutely. So we're going to have a little bit of fun with this episode. You know, we're uh, going to do something a little bit different here. We're basically going to go through, uh, we picked five uh, favorite things um, for each of us here, and then we're going to kind of go back and forth on this. This is, is like current stuff, and this is kind of uh, rewinding the clock back and a lot of this stuff too, uh, stuff that we like from the past and whatnot when it comes to technology and gaming and all that. So for the first one up for me, for um, I kind of rank this number one, and this is very current for me. My favorite piece of technology um, that I'm currently using is what we're using to record this podcast right now, this 2019 21.5-inch iMac. And... You can see it sitting here in person, Mike. I mean, when you look at this thing, it, it is hard to believe that there is even just a display, let alone an entire computer in this thing. It, it's very impressive. It is pretty sleek. So, so give us some of the deets on this one. 
it, it's it's an all-in-one computer, which is what the the iMac has always kind of been about. It, it's uh, what's interesting with this uh, this design is from 2012. So in seven years, they haven't changed the design. They have just been improving the uh, the internals that went on it. Uh, they've they've kept with with what works. And how long you had this? Uh, this has only been a few months now. A few months now. And uh, it's been fantastic so far. I mean, uh, it, uh, to do our podcast on, to do research on, and uh, just for the desktop computing needs, I mean, it's, uh, it's a very clean setup, too. Not a lot of cords. I mean, uh, we've got some more because we're here podcasting, so I get the mixer and whatnot plugged in. But if all, all that is taken away, it, you just have, there's just one cord. There's the power cord going in and out, and that's it. Just testament to that simple, effective design. It's, it's, a, it's a beaut to look at. It is, and it's, it's beauty used, too. So yes. it's a, not only nice to look at, but it, it does exactly what it is, and it does it very well. Now, for you, what's your favorite current uh, piece of technology, Mike? I'll say, man, the, the Nintendo Switch really bowled me over in terms of just uh, innovation, yep. a big, big comeback for Nintendo after that, that really off Wii U generation. They came back all guns firing here. And I'd say that uh, the rest of the video game world is taking notice at that that dual functionality, which I think thought was just genius. The fact that you can dock the console, take it handheld, um, and it's like I'm more of a docked person. I'm not really a much of a handheld gamer, but I'd say yeah. a lot of people are buying this for the handheld functionality. Hence, we have the Nintendo Switch Lite. Yeah, so not the most impressive piece of technology out there but it doesn't have to be because uh when you see something like mario kart deluxe or mario odyssey it does exactly what it has to do and the games just they they they, they speak for themselves they don't need to be the most cutting technology technology they have this is the ip that shines right there nintendo's always been about the games this is one thing that reggie was always very big on the ethy presentation it's all about the games all about the players yeah and, and thankfully, because you know they've experimented and they've done so much with the the actual hardware that you know thankfully you know the the games have always been what you would expect from Nintendo. Right, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm I'm interested to see what Sony's going to be doing uh, in the new year. Especially, I'd say a lot of people are indicating probably a February reveal for the PS5. Yeah. All the functionality. I'm starting to hear rumors that there may be an OLED screen on the Ooh. DualShock 5. So they might be taking a page from the Switch in, in terms of maybe having something that could be a two-in-one. Yeah. We'll see. But that, that might be a tough call to get all that power into a, a device. I would think so, yeah. But that's, I guess that's what cell phones are for. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see when it comes to that. Your number one pick. My number one pick for favorite category. So that's I decided it. to go with the best gaming console mm -hmm. generation. Yeah. And... I had to go back to the fourth generation, which would be Genesis, Super Nintendo, Turbo Graphics, Neo Geo. It, it's it's an older one. I, I lived through it, and there's been movies made about this generation. Yeah. One of the greatest console wars of of all time, I'd have to say. Really, so much innovation that came out of that era. Do you remember it pretty well? Especially the Super Nintendo Genesis. I mean, that that was from when we were in public school. And um, you were either on one side or you were on the other side. It, it got pretty heated sometimes. You know, even if you would go over to a friend's house and uh, you say if you were a Super Nintendo and they had a Sega Genesis, it would be like, what is this? Yeah. I know. It, it was. It, it, that's the thing, because we're not going to see really see that anymore. We yeah. talked about this last episode where... Sony's embracing this new multi-platform approach. Xbox is starting to let a lot of its oh. second-party titles go onto the Switch. MLB is going over to other consoles now, whereas this one, I remember it really well, being so jealous of... Because I was a Sega Genesis guy. So mm -hmm. I started with Sega Master System, got NES, and then I remember the day we were at the old Jumbo Video in London, my brother and I, and I had the choice to either get a Super Nintendo or a Genesis, 
And the reason I chose the Genesis, number one, because my brother was paying for it. I knew he wanted <laughs> to play sports games. But yeah. at that time, it was the only way to play NHL hockey. And properly, too. True, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but then, of course, you know, so that was the go-to system for sports. If you wanted to, if you wanted to play great sports games, the Super Nintendo was a, a slower system. So some of the games were chugging in comparison. But then everything changed when Street Fighter 2 came out on Super Nintendo. And I just, I became so, so jealous. And, and I really just, there's, there's just so much innovation going on both sides in that generation. It, it, it's still classic to this day. You look, you look back on that. Just like I said, Nintendo's always kind of just been about the games. They really essentially worry about their hardware. They just deliver good games. Absolutely, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And uh, yeah, just just so much, so many great titles that still stand up to this day. Mm-hmm. You can see that right now. Like the Super Nintendo Mini came out. Yeah, ultra popular. That sold out. When you look time. at the list of games on that thing, it's it's utterly insane. And now that new Sega Genesis Mini's been doing really well. Yep. Another great lineup of games. Yeah, it's just a, just a fantastic generation. What about what about you, Joe? For me, the sixth generation was probably my favorite. And this is, if you guys are wondering, if you, you don't know uh, how these are kind of numbered, this is the generation that had the original Xbox, the PlayStation 2, the GameCube, and yes, the Sega Dreamcast as well. That's one that kind of gets left out that people forget to mention. Um, a lot of really interesting stuff in this generation. We really saw an increase in performance in these systems. The Dreamcast was one that a lot of people slept on. I, I had one. It was actually a pretty in, impressive piece of hardware. Uh, the controller was a little bit weird with the memory pod that they had in there. That was a little strange. But uh, you know, the PS2 and the Xbox were, were the real standouts in this generation. I'd say if... Okay, Sega... Uh, the Dreamcast was just a victim, victim of circumstance back then. Yeah. Sega was reeling off of the ill-fated 32X, the Saturn, which was uh, incredibly hard to pr- uh, program forwards. Yeah. The PS1 was much simpler in design. The Dreamcast, by all standards, if it had been marketed properly and timed properly, it would have destroyed the PS2 and its competition. It was a fantastic system, but at that point, I think people lost so much faith in Sega. It it was was a hard sell. The PS2, obviously, had the DVD drive, and and the rest is history right there. (laughs) It's the all-time best-selling console. And for me, the sixth generation, I talked about this a bit last episode, where... Even though, yeah, there was power differences. Obviously, the Xbox had the superior hardware, but overall, it was a very similar experience on all three platforms. And that's and I was getting to that whole thing of where it was something great. I had all three because mm-hmm. there was something to have from all yep. three generations. What a, what a great generation! And also, I think the first truly commercial generation where we stepped out of video games being yeah. a kid's toy and into the mainstream. And definitely PS2 having the DVD capability absolutely Huge. added to that. And they were. To the best of my memory, I don't think anybody else did uh, an update. The PS2, they actually made a smaller version of it. And I mean, not a little bit smaller. This thing was probably like a quarter of the size. And it was basically like a, like a Tom Clancy novel. Uh, that's probably about the best way I can kind of summarize the size of this thing. It was, it was super thin. Uh, I had one of those. I remember taking it out of the box, and I was like, is there pieces missing from this? Cause I remember seeing, you know, playing the original one at the, the kiosk and whatnot, and that, that thing was beefy. That was a huge machine. Plus, it had the online function built in. <laughs> if you had the old fat PS2, you had to buy a separate modem yeah. to play Final Fantasy XI back then. This was just the all-in-wonder. They still work to this day. They're so well-built. Just yeah. just a great system. Yeah, Absolutely. so overall, awesome generation all around. Lots of great games and lots of good systems. Absolutely. So my number two pick is uh, for my favorite technology website. And uh, for myself, it's The Verge. Uh, these guys, they 
they, they talk about a lot of stuff and they do it in a, in a way that I really respect. It's a very non-biased sort of way. They look things at things very objectively. Uh, they, they do talk about a lot of Apple hardware and whatnot, but when they're reviewing it, all you have to do is watch one of uh, the reviews and it, it, you could tell that they're not being handed money under the table to be like, hey, give us a good review. They're very, very honest and they cover lots of stuff and they're my main source of uh, information or one of my main sources of information for what we do here. I do get a lot there and especially I love the fact that they're not afraid to tackle the underbelly of what's going on with surveillance yep. and the whole Chinese effect. You know, uh, the thing I like too is that yeah, they're definitely like left wing, like most tech publications, but they're not yep. blatantly so. Like for example, compare them to Ars Technica, which has to inj- inject a little bit of social justice here and there. Yep. Like you said, I find The Verge to be a bit more neutral, and I'm very sensitive to this stuff because I've said in the previous episodes that I was very involved with Gamergate back in 2015, mm-hmm. which if you, the listeners, if you don't know what Gamergate was, essentially a lot of corruption came out in games Lots. journalism, a lot of conflict of interest, it got exposed, and we really started to see where a lot of these different publications lied on the political spectrum. And I'll be honest, Joe, I used to read a lot of different publications. I dropped a lot of them after Gamergate. I'd find mm. that The Verge kind of sticks with me, and also on a gaming front, I'd say Game Informer is one of the more neutral outfits, whereas, yeah, a lot, like, say, Polygon, IGN, tend to be more leftist and annoying and have to inject politics and everything. I find that these these sites are a lot easier to deal with. Yep. And your pick for for this one? I'm going to go... Well, this is a lot of gaming in this list, but, hey, it is what it is. Uh, Limitedrungames.com. Wow, I'm just obsessed... With, with these guys and all of the a lot of the similar sites like Special Reserve, Strictly Limited, but Limited Run Games has really created this new phenomenon. I go on and on about preservation of video games, about uh, the importance of physical media, and what I love about Limited Run is that they're taking all these indie game titles and they're we get to keep them forever. And it's like some big heavy hitters. They started out fairly small. They actually were a developer. Their first title was called Breaching Clear, which was an in-house developed game. They also did Saturday Morning RPG. And because their model, originally they started where, like in their name, they have limited runs. So they put out, say, 3,000, 2,500 copies. And then That's if it's a really hot game, those games are gone in like five minutes. And because they yeah. become so popular, there's also a lot of copycat websites. But now <laughs> they're starting to take on some really big licenses. So they got the Star Wars license. Nice. So they've been re-releasing all these old PS2, PS1 era games, cool. like uh, N64 games on disc. Now they've got uh, they've they've been getting in bed with Sony, re-releasing the Jack uh, Daxter trilogy nice. on PS4, and, and just it's fantastic. So now that they're evolving. A lot of people were kind of pissed off because, okay, if you have a slow internet connection, it can be tough to get into that shopping cart and get a game that's going to be sold out in five minutes. So now they're starting to lean more towards two to four week pre-orders, which still isn't a bad idea. You'll still have a fairly limited run, but um, already some of these games are going astronomical. I was I was lucky yeah. enough to get uh, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon yeah. Special Edition. I think I paid 90 bucks. It came like an NES sleeve case, a big replica, an NES box. This thing's already going for almost 300 bucks online. So these things are definitely fetching value. Uh, I just think it's awesome that they exist. Maybe possibly going on a bit of a tangent here, but I was here. You know, you want to talk to some other people about gaming, and uh, they talk about, uh, you're talking about preservation and uh, buying the actual stuff and then people was i always hear people making the argument but when you go to a store you see used games and you see and then they say but they're so cheap i'm like so you know and you try to explain them how things can kind of accrue in value and then they can't really wrap their head around that it's like but when you go into the store you see these things for like 
use games for like four and five bucks. Uh, keep in mind too, a lot of those have been drop kicked and they've been thrown across the floor and whatnot. We we're talking about in pristine, well, at least in, in good condition. You know, the stuff that uh, over time it's going to increase in value. When what was it back in the? I would say it'd probably be about the mid '90s when NES was pretty much finished. We were in the mid. We were kind of getting close to the end of the Genesis Super Nintendo era. Back then, NES games were bargain bins. Some of those games, like if you follow, for example, Game Chasers or Pat the NES Punk on YouTube, they always have those stories about finding a copy of Little Samson for five dollars in a bargain (laughs) bin. And now, how much is that now? Five six hundred dollars. Like it's ridiculous. So. I would say as a pro tip for any collectors out there, always collect at the end of a generation. When everything is in the bargain Good bin, call, yeah. you are going to find some, you're going to unload. Like yeah. right now, the best systems to collect for our Wii, PSP, PS3. You're going to get that stuff bargain bin. And, yeah. I, and I'll tell you right now, in about 10 years, give a lot of those games are going to be go up in value. Yeah. But then what do you think of this? With games now having updates mm-hmm. and DLC, Yep. What is like back then? Yes, you can say these games are worth money because everything's on the cart, everything's on the disc. Yep. Is it going to be the same in five, ten years? That's an interesting conversation to have because yeah. that, that's something that's really changed. When we used to get games, that's what you got is what you got, right? And now, I mean, every single—I mean, I mean, every single game gets patched, it gets updated, and whatnot. So. Could that affect the the future value of it? That's really hard to tell at this point. And again, this is what I like about Limited Run is that those games pretty much come on disc with no updates. So yeah. they are fully preserved yeah. and you and you, you get uh, some great stuff there. It's been a big shift in the in the gaming industry with that whole approach to that. I, I just thought it was funny for years yeah. there. All the pundits were saying, oh, it's the end of the physical era. It's going to be all digital media. Nobody's buying discs anymore. Well, why all these, why are all these sites popping up? Why are these games selling out every week? People still want this stuff. Very true. Very true. Okay, your number two pick. This is an interesting one. All right, tech best tech personality. Yeah. So I decided again with a gaming one. I went with Metal Jesus and this kind of uh, who has a YouTube channel, Metal Jesus Rocks, and this feeds into my last topic because I've learned a lot from this guy. This guy is an expert collector. He used to work at Sierra back in the day, so he worked on a lot of these old mm. PC games. This guy's a veteran. He's I like been through. Those, yeah. He's probably I'd say a few years older than we are, Sierra. so he's been through every wow. single generation. His big thing is collecting big box PC, but. Yep. His claim to fame is he's the hidden gems guy on YouTube. And he gets a lot of flack for this, too, because a lot of people are now are talking about the Metal Jesus effect, where if he talks about a certain game in a hidden gems video, no. all of a sudden now you're going to see a price spike. Yeah. And it's happening. I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a game that came out near the end of the PS2 life cycle, Kim Possible. I think it was a Bonavista Disney property. Okay, yeah. You'd probably skip over it, because typically I'm going to skip over most Disney games. Most of them are crap. This one, however, is like a side-scrolling, hand-drawn Metroidvania that you mm-hmm. would just have totally slept on, and I would have never known about it if it weren't for him. I go to my local microplay, and I find it for $5, and it's wow. already going up in value because he happened to mention it. So he gets a lot of flack online for this stuff, but I'm thinking, well, you just he just beat you to the punch. <laughs> so I, I, I like what he's done for the collecting industry in terms of the education. Um there's a lot of people like him, but I, I just like him, especially his personality is really good. And the fact that he really likes to lift other people up on YouTube. So he has That's the Metal cool. Jesus crew. He's yeah. constantly giving a platform to other YouTubers. And I think it's just his his whole vibe is really awesome. Yeah. So if you've never seen Metal Jesus Rocks and you're into game collecting, he's one of the best. 
You mentioned Sierra games. I was just thinking briefly back on that. Uh, what an epic uh, time, huh? Oh man, like the, the, those point and click uh, adventure games on oh, the computer. Yeah. So that those oh that brings back some good memories. I, I have to go watch some videos. Space on some of those Quest, Roger oh, Local. Man, so Le- I was a Leisure Suit Larry guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played every single one of those when I was a kid. I was, was I was great. obsessed. That was good stuff. Oh yeah. So for me, um, this is something that I, I think pe- people are probably gonna start giving me flack because I, I, I like uh, so much Apple stuff here. But for me, when it comes to uh, to tech personalities, I mean, the first person I think of is Steve Jobs. How? <laughs> I don't disagree with you here. I mean, just one of the, the original pioneers in the business. I mean, what Steve was really, really good at is, um, and people might perceive this as kind of negative, he was really, really good at making you want something that you maybe necessarily didn't really need or that uh, it was kind of marginalized. He was really, really good at kind of drawing you in with these presentations and whatnot. And uh, Steve was like one of the best businessmen I think I've ever seen. A true visionary. Yeah. And it's just... Tim Cook is just nothing even close. Not even the same stratosphere. I mean, he, he's definitely kept Apple going, but I... I the heart and soul uh, is gone from the company. I don't see the innovation like no. I used to with no. Steve Jobs. I, I don't... I, yeah, it's great no. to see them, you know, going balls to the wall with the new Mac Pro. Sure, and, yeah. yeah. And, you know, to their credit, I, I, we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. We talked about the quote-unquote Apple Prime and some of the moves they're going to be doing possibly in the new year. Mm-hmm. But overall, I just don't feel... Like it's this, it's the same kind of Apple under Steve Jobs. A, a good example of that is uh, go on YouTube and find when they released the original iPad, and you just see him. Like, I have one of the the newer ones, but you just see him when he's holding this thing up, and like it just like you tell, just like looking at his face, like he was just very proud and, and very to, to be kind of showing this off, and like he just he, like he was grinning ear to ear when uh, he was revealing these new devices. I mean, just he was. Uh, you know, he wasn't the guy making the the hardware and all that kind of stuff. Originally, that was Woz, uh, Wozniak and all those guys. But yep. Steve was just really good at uh, uh, getting all these really talented people together and just, and at, at times maybe pushing them too far. But he was really, really good at getting the best out of everybody that uh, worked with him too. And and I like the fact that he was also cognizant uh, of what he was of what he was actually getting into. I, I know that, for example, he wouldn't allow his young kids to use an iPad. He felt they were too young. Yep. It wasn't good for their development. So at least he understood mm-hmm. what, what the limitations of tech were, yep. whereas I think now we're in more of a hype mode. We don't even yep. think about these things anymore. And again, uh, I mentioned it before, too, if you want to get a good uh, feel kind of um, to his whole kind of story there, it's really, really hard to find. But look on the internet for a movie called The Pirates of Silicon Valley. And it's a good, uh, and you learn a lot about uh, Bill Gates and the uh, the Microsoft crew as well. So get if if you're, uh, you want to find out more about him, that's one of the best ones because it's done in a very non-Hollywoody kind of way. So. Did you ever read Jobs on Jobs? Uh, I think I may have part of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's one I have to check out too. Yeah. For sure. Okay, so for my number three uh, pick is for favorite desktop app. And for myself... It's what I'm using right now. What uh, we're using to record this podcast right now, and it's a pod, it's a uh, program called GarageBand. And for those of you who are kind of familiar with audio production and whatnot, um, Logic is probably the standard in the industry. Uh, this is essentially the same product, just it's uh, it's free. That's the the major major plus there, and it has the majority of the functionality that Logic has, and uh, it just, it makes recording and it makes editing audio such a breeze and, and, and enjoyable i mean there's other programs like audacity and whatnot but they it's really, really time consuming to edit on those programs this one it just it streamlines everything and just the way that i mean i can have all the bits kind of already going and then i record already like what we're doing right now right in there as a track and i can very quickly edit uh, the uh, 
it just it's it's fantastic. I know. I'll be honest. The last time I used GarageBand was back in two thousand nine when I was when I was (laughs) teaching. I'd take these little MacBooks out to to different schools, and that that was a very rudimentary version of GarageBand. I'm so impressed to see how much more functionality they put. This really looks like a full fledged editing suite now. Uh, Reminds me a lot of what I use, Pinnacle, um, which is which is derived from Avid. And this is this is great. I I love uh, what's what's going on with this. Yeah. And uh, for myself, before you give your pick here, an honorable mention for for myself, and this is probably one of your aware of and it's fantastic it's called the the vlc player love my vlc player and what's really really great great about this it's it's free i believe it's uh open source code as well and it will literally play any format of video out there i haven't seen anything that hasn't been able to pick up yet i mean for the most part now you have avi you have uh, mpeg uh, 4 those are a couple of the the major ones there but if there's some other more kind of obscure stuff uh, it's gonna play it it's simple it's effective uh on pc lots of features oh yeah i'll go back between VLC and Windows Movie Player or whatever, but you can actually scan in real time when you're running through a video. It's just very simple. No frills. Does all the for- formats. It's, it's great. You can set up playlists and stuff like that. You can just uh, drag and drop oh, stuff yeah. in there and add to a list and you can binge watch a bunch of stuff. I mean, just it, it works very flawlessly and it just, it's, um, there's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, and it's free. Just, yeah. uh, just go get it now if you don't have it. It's Even great. Better. What's don't your pick? For, what's your pick for this one? I'm gonna show my age here. <laughs> I, I love this I'm program. Show, I'm gonna really show my age later, by the way. Oh, don't worry. But Winamp. Yeah. I will never ever use anything else for my MP3s. I've been using this program for 19 years now. Wow. I downloaded this back in 2000, and at some point, I think they were gonna discontinue it, and I think yeah. due to popular demand, they brought it back hasn't changed fundamentally at all and it doesn't have to it's one of the best mp3 players because i still i'm not a big streaming music guy i actually like to have my own stuff on a hard drive that i can copy to devices and own yep i just love the layout i i love the the transparency of the ui the playlist it's, it's, not, it's, it's a music player. I really can't say yeah. much else, but it's just simple. It sounds great. It's got an it's got a beautiful equalizer on it. All these different skins. I remember that? And you yeah. can and, and thankfully you can still download another free program. I can't recommend it enough. If you still are into MP3s, this is something you have to have. Awesome. Okay, so now that we've been talking about desktop apps, let's go to your pick, which is uh, mobile apps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my I'd say this is a good one. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I'll be honest. I'm not a huge mobile app guy. Like my phone is fairly fairly functional. I don't spend a lot of time on it playing games. I'm just yeah. not a mobile game guy. But yeah. man, Shazam <laughs> is a godsend. Right? How many times have you been somewhere where you oh. hear a song on the radio or at the gym or maybe just a, like for yeah. me, I'll be like listening to Infowars and you'll hear some bumper music I never heard before, and I throw Shazam. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe right? that's that song. Yeah unbelievable it's it's pretty effective the only thing i would say it doesn't really pick up on a lot is like maybe some obscure indie stuff yeah but for most stuff it's yeah. very accurate and even canadian music it's on there incredible yeah. do you use it much at all for this episode for our end song uh, i actually use shazam to find out what this is by the way yes so yeah because i, I was watching uh, a preview for the cyberpunk uh, video game and i was like who does that song i couldn't find it I looked on youtube and whatnot i did, did shazam and i mean Two seconds, it popped up, and it that's was like, like a okay. double dopamine hit, man. Add that to my Apple Music library. Thank you very much. I, I get, I get like almost sexually excited in right? times. Uh, I, I keep joking. So now that we have this, when some genius going to develop the app that you can hum into? 
<laughs> and it's going to pick up on it. That is called Google Assistant, my friend. Oh, boy. You can actually do is. that. And um, if you even just uh, whistle or kind of hum what the music is, a lot of times it will pick up uh, certain things, believe it or not. It's like I've had this this whole time. I've never even tried it. I'm right? going to be humming give all the a, way home. Give it a shot. But um, what's interesting with, with, with this, uh, and like, like you said, I, I can't remember how many times, like in the 90s, like in the real kind of heyday of radio, I remember like playing basketball and stuff for Shiok outside, and we would have like the, the ghetto blaster. We had ghetto blasters back then, folks, and we had music playing, and, and you'd hear a song on the radio, and it would be one of those ones where they wouldn't intro it or they wouldn't mention it afterward, and it's like, did that effing song. And how many times did it happen where you didn't even hear that song again for 10 years? Right. And then it was like, a, and then you hear it again and you're like, oh my God. And you still yeah. don't know what it is. And now all. you finally know yeah. it is. And, it, and what's great because they've, yeah. they've really improved the app too where now it actually no. will link to like music videos where you can actually go buy it. I'm surprised by how many people don't even know this exists. People are still shocked when I tell them this, this app even exists and they're like, right. oh my God, this yeah. is the best thing ever. So, Man, just, just one of the best things I've ever seen on a phone. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And you know what? Here on the fly, Mike, I originally had a different pick, but now that we've talked about this, it's my pick as well. Perfect. Uh, I was perfect. originally going to mention Podbean. Honorable um, mention of Podbean. Honorable mention of Podbean because that is one of the platforms that our, our, our podcast uh, is on. But I mean, Shazam. And yeah, now that I think about it, we've talked about it. Yeah, that, that's uh, got to be one of my favorite apps. And I use it quite often. Even if I hear something play on the PA at work or something, I'll, I'll hit that up. And, and most of these devices are really good at picking up and drowning on background noises. And it can kind of isolate what it is that it's listening to. And I, I, I've discovered and rediscovered so much music with that way. And for me, that, that's the real cool part of this is especially the rediscovering like you said like a song that maybe i haven't heard in 10 or 20 years and you get that that memory moment it's like oh i remember that i think they even have some uh game shows based on this now it's like how fast can you beat shazam and shazam right. is very fast it's very very fast very fast so but let's okay so you did mention podbean we should yes. give an honorable mention yep. what makes podbean better than other podcatchers the the outside of the program itself i mean just it's um I've I've had less problems uh, with with Podbean. I find it's a bit of a cleaner interface. It's a little easier to kind of discover. Uh, they do a really good job of showcasing every month um, different creators. I know uh, Termocle Talk, uh, the other podcast I do. They've been uh, we've been featured on, on there. Um, coming up in I believe March or April, the platform that we're on, the HTM Podcast Network, is going to be a featured uh, uh, podca uh, podcast on there as well. So looking forward to that. And we'll make sure and we'll uh, promote the hell out of that. But it's a very clean interface, and I like how they showcase. And even dealing on, on their back and with their support, uh, when you go to their website, there's like a little a little chat thing, and you can very quickly get a hold of somebody if you're having an issue with your account, if you're a creator like us, and sorting out those kind of issues and whatnot. So, you know, really good program and then really good world-class support on the back end one guys. thing i would there is a minor gripe i got it maybe this is an android thing i don't know yeah. if you're having the same issue so you know how when you swipe down from the top of your screen you get the little preview pane where you can do 30 seconds back 30 seconds forward to hit player pause yeah for some reason it's not always showing that pause button it'll show a play button and i can't pause it without actually having to open up the app itself and pause the pause the podcast that's an issue i haven't had on the apple side so maybe it's just an android could be sites. an android issue okay yeah. so well good yeah. old android but hopefully that'll get fixed uh, sooner or later because actually it's kind of annoying but otherwise yeah really good platform you know that's something i'll uh next time i contact them maybe i'll make mention maybe Please. that's something they can uh make it because they they welcome that kind of uh, stuff because if they don't find out about this kind of stuff they don't know how to fix it yeah Right, because it might not be a bug or an issue that everybody's having. Right? That's right. So. But overall, a great slate of content on there. Joe Rogan's yes. on there. Leo yep. Laporte. All I mean, the usual suspects are on yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it's it's a very very wealthy 
very wealthy platform. Absolutely. So going to my number four here, and this is one again. We we have the same pick on this one. I I couldn't I couldn't think of anything else that was as good as this. It's a no brainer. It, it really is. really is when it comes to open world games. It's Grand Theft Auto Five. That there's some competition in, in the exact same company. I mean, uh, GTA Vice City is still one of my favorite games. I've played in a long time. I wish that they would uh, maybe refresh or remaster. But I mean, GTA Five. I mean, it just on every level when it comes to graphics, when it comes to gameplay, when it comes to story, when it comes to online play. Just I mean, it it literally has it all. It's the all in wonder, man. I mean, I, how much more can they cram into this? We we we, we mentioned this before. There's still stuff coming out for it. Too. 2013 this game out we're six years in this game is still on top 10 sales list to this day and what what did it make i think it was half a billion or a billion in the first 48 hours you can only imagine on xbox xbox 360 xbox one ps3 ps4 pc we're my gosh it's a phenomenon it's unbelievable and and well deserved because it, it basically took what was great about every single grand theft auto and mashed it to one now my uh, would I say that maybe the story is as riveting as others? Debatable. Yep. It was ambitious. I would I would still I'm still kind of of the unpopular opinion that Grand Theft Auto Four had more pathos. I think so. I think but right. still, it was. It was yeah. I think Grand Theft Auto Five was more fun. Mm-hmm. Didn't take itself seriously. Come on, Trevor. Seriously, <laughs> one of the best character rivers. What a great story. Man. The gameplay mechanics, everything yeah. that was wrong with other yeah. games, they fixed. The driving itself. That was always one of my gripes with previous Grand Theft Auto games. Is like this actually felt like playing a Need for Speed game. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was on par with any other arcade racer. The shooting mechanics cover based system I I just can't go on enough about this I haven't played it in a long time because I played the shit out of it when it first came out so I needed a break but I might you know get back into it to play that that casino in uh, in our our streaming days this is going probably back almost five or six years ago now Jesus since we were doing YouTube and uh, doing Twitch we were the first people on Twitch yep and um, I remember doing some of these races man I remember like I just I mean I I, I believe that we coined the term dirty asshole racing Uh, just I mean just crashing each other but I mean normally that kind of stuff would piss me off but when this it just it felt fun yeah yeah. I mean, uh, and on so many different, uh, there's so many different modes. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say enough positive about it. And it's one of those ones, too, where I'm really, really happy that Hollywood hasn't latched on this and tried to make a movie or something. Oh, I, please I, don't, I, just don't. I, I, I would, that's something I would absolutely hate to see because I, I, don't, I don't see it being a good thing. It would be dumbed down. It would, um, yeah, just forget I even mentioned it. Please, just don't, don't even think about it. It's like yeah. the Uncharted movie. Just let it die. Like, oh. seriously, all this stuff, just stop. If yeah. it's, it's good enough as a game. Let it go. You know what? Another one that's supposedly on the slate is Duke Nukem, and supposedly John Cena is going to be the. Oh my God! Good luck trying to get John Cena to be an actual Duke Nukem. I think my I just got indigestion. Wow! Head exploding moment. Yep, absolutely. Your number four pick here. This is uh, very interesting too. Uh, We're talking indie games. Favorite indie game. I was originally going to say Shovel Knight, but then no. Good pick too. Uh, It's a great, fantastic. But Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Mm. Uh, wow. I, I, I was one of the f- original, ba- I was one of the first backers. As soon as this got announced, I was on on right away. Because this, if you don't know what Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is, for any of you, those who are not in the know, this is a spiritual successor to Castlevania Symphony of the Night, mm. which was actually made by one of the co-producers, Koji Garashi, who after he left Konami, obviously didn't have the rights to Castlevania. He was basically, he was co-producer on Symphony of the Night, which is, my number two game of all time. Next to Gunstar Heroes, I'd say Symphony of the Night is yep. this timeless masterpiece. 
basically made the Metroidvania genre what it is, along with, of course, Super Metroid. You combine those two games, you get the Metroidvania genre, right? So utterly in love with that game. One of the greatest soundtracks in history. So then when this got announced, I just I just lost my shit. And then so did the internet. <laughs> yep. Took a while to get going. And, and I will say that being a Kickstarter thing, it was very ambitious. Because this is, this is again, very. the love or hate thing I have with Kickstarter where when you start to put out all these stretch goals and start to make all this money and start promising more and more stuff and then the audience gets involved in game design, it's kind of like too many cooks in the kitchen. And I will say that as great as this game is, it's still not Symphony of the Night because that was more finely tuned and very, it's like perfectly paced. And I would say also the soundtrack is not quite up to level of Symphony of the Night. It's still great. We still have the original composer. But in terms of its ambition and as a possible new franchise, man, I don't remember the last time I got this addicted to a game. I put a full 60 <laughs> hours into this. I 100%ed it. Yeah. I did my first platinum. Nice. I beat New Game Plus, and I'm ready for more DLC, and I'm ready just for way more of this stuff. So, And, cool. and hopefully the dream of maybe Koji and Konami making nice and actually making a proper <clears throat> Castlevania, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, my pick at one here is, of course, one that you and I are very familiar with uh, back to our YouTube days. So, Rage quitting. Again, um, my, in the episode, I might actually link this episode so you guys can go and check it out. Um, we did a kind of a let's play of this. I'm talking Super Me Boy from the Team Me guys who um, they had a second game that was kind of... Um, Supposedly going to be on the it was called Mugenics that never got that, released. That kind of fell through, and actually, I think these two guys have actually parted ways. They're actually uh, doing a sequel to Super Meat Boy. Okay, yeah, they, I think they're. But here's the thing: the but one Tommy's guy, not with uh, them anymore. I believe I, maybe not. I haven't yeah. really followed him because I think yeah. Edwin kind of went off and did because he went yeah. off and did Binding of Isaac yeah. and got a lot of yeah. success with that. Well, you just have to go back and uh, for those who want a little bit of backstory in this, uh, find a game called uh, sorry, a movie called Indie Game the Movie, and you can see just in that uh, it's not surprising. That I think Tommy is basically kind of out of the industry. You could tell he's one of these guys, uh, pretty much like Phil Fish and these guys that just they they take it just way too much to heart and way too seriously. And uh, even when that game originally came out on the Xbox 360, and it wasn't in the marketplace right away, and you can tell that it really got to him. You gotta have a tough you gotta have a tough skin with this kind of stuff. And I think he's a guy that like a stiff breeze would kind of blow him over. So it doesn't surprise me that he's kind of uh, stepped away. Kind of, and like, kind of like Phil Fish who. Burned a lot of bridges during oh. Gamergate. <laughs> I, I lost a lot of respect for him, I'll be honest. And it made me look at Fez in a different way, unfortunately, which I really enjoyed until Phil Fish opened his dirty mouth during Gamergate and become yeah. a total beta. And that's anyway aside. Yeah. But even I got hints of that attitude where you're talking about the, was it Tommy? Tommy, yeah. When he was talking about the Call of Duty meatheads. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, man. Like, I get it. You're indie. Mm-hmm. You think you're doing something different, yeah. but you got to coexist. There's a big market for those type of games. That's one thing you got you got to keep in mind. And I mean, this isn't just with gaming. I'm talking with music. I'm talking with movies. I'm talking with professional wrestling, anything like that. A lot of the stuff, at the end of the day, it's so subjective, okay? Like, you might not like, Call of Duty, the multiplayer, or the uh, they're running around like and shooting like that. But there, there's definitely an audience that you just have to look at the sales and, and see how many people are playing it. You might not uh, necessarily dig that or you think it's stupid, but there, there's clearly a big group out there that does really enjoy it. And I'm sorry, Call of Duty 4 is a modern masterpiece of storytelling. It like, really let's is. just not get that wrong. And, and look, like, well, I even said this last week, okay. Okay, maybe I'm not into Dark Souls and I suck at it, but I respect it. Exactly. And I, and I understand it has a place in industry. Yeah. I'm not a sports game guy, but I, I think 2K, NBA 2K is one of the best sports games ever made. Absolutely. So it's yeah. just, it's just you know, when you have that kind of a- that open attitude where you're just kind of throwing shade at everybody else in the industry, it's, it's not a good look. Yeah. 
It doesn't make again. That's that pervasive indie attitude that I'm so used to from my <laughs> indie days that I just makes yeah. me sick. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I it, it was interesting. That movie came out of time before yeah. the indie revolution, yeah. and I think you're right. It's it's like they were kind of the marquee players. There wasn't a lot of competition, so I think the fame came a little too fast. They couldn't handle it, but we'll see. I mean, we'll yeah. see what uh, yeah. Super Meat Boy Two plans out with, or yeah. Super Meat Boy Infinite. I think it's called. Yeah, and and, and back on Super Meat Boy itself. I mean, just if you, if you want a game that's a really good stiff challenge. Yeah, let's talk about the game. Sorry. And uh, I mean, it, it's it was clearly programmed very well, and it, and it play it plays very well. It does exactly what you. This really kind of gave birth to the the whole uh, let's play and react to what's kind of going on because this is a game that it starts off very very straightforward and very easy and ramps up right away i mean and this is a game that to this day i have still not fully completed i mean i haven't played in a long time but i mean there, there's some stuff going on here that just it's it's like yeah i mean someday maybe i'll, I'll tackle it but i mean just it, it's yeah it's a, a ultra <laughs> hardcore yeah. twitch platformer <clears throat> it makes me it rem- when I when I see it being played properly, it reminds me of an expert playing Super Mario World, who knows yeah. all the tricks, yeah. all the controls, who can speed run the hell out of it, and can do every po- little possible jump, and that it needs your ultimate timing. Um, and if you are actually, this game is available physically, so you can buy this on PS4. Rare. It's rare. Yeah. It is, and it's there's going to be a release on the Vita. Vita <laughs> through really? limited run games, yeah. So really? stay tuned for that. If you're in, you will that if they're at two thousand copies or less. Yep. Oh yeah, that month, that game will be worth mucho bucos later on. Very interesting. Okay, for my fifth pick here, for my um, for my last actual pick here, as I mentioned earlier about dating myself, this is going to be definitely a case of this because I guarantee you there's not going to be very many people that know about these, but they definitely bring back some memories for me. First one for me is a game called you know, and actually I'll uh, show. Here for Mike, I actually have. <clears throat> so my first one is called the Oregon Trail, and I actually have in essentially a physical format. Basically, it's it's a handheld version of this game. I that, saw that at Walmart. That uh, it looks like a, a little Commodore sixty four. Yeah. Right. So very very cool. Um, it's not that expensive. So check that out. But uh, a little bit more about this. Uh, so I'll uh, bring it up on. Yeah, describe uh, the game. I don't here. remember that one very well. Um, it was. It's not, we're really going back here because this isn't even like a point and click PC type game. This is a text and some visual type of thing here. And this goes back to the initial release when this is 1971, okay? And this was uh, developed by a company called MECC, which stands for the Minnesota Educational Computing Consortium. Wow. So, so this is even predating. Pong and Space Invaders, I believe. I believe so. Uh, my first exposure to playing this was actually on the original, um, the Apple II. Uh, platform and uh, it's essentially it's it's a text in some visual type of game where basically you start off on the east coast and the idea is to get over to the west coast and basically like a like a horse and buggy or wagon kind of situation where you have your whole family you name all the kids and whatnot and you travel and you have to survive and um, it's um, it brings up the uh, the, the famous uh, meme and stuff now that, that that's been kind of bare back with this is that uh, of dying of dysentery um that's where this whole idea of this stemmed from. And I don't think that I, in all the times I ever played this, uh, even at school when I was supposed to be doing schoolwork and we were <laughs> playing games on this stuff. Uh, but, I mean, that's their fault for putting uh, games that's in it. school, that's by it. the way. Um, 
I don't think I ever made it to the to the actual Oregon in this. You know what's Always funny? Died. These text-based games are starting to make kind of a retro comeback, too. Yeah. There's this one game called Valhalla that's getting pretty popular. Yeah. It's like a bartending simulator, simulator yeah. in the same vein. So, yeah, these yeah. these these games definitely have their, their place in nostalgia, for sure. Ooh, look at this one. I remember this. And uh, the other one uh, is called Battle Chess. When I played this on 386 PC back in the day. Yeah, wow. My first exposure to this, again, was on the original Apple II. And um, what's interesting with this is the, the developer of uh, this game... Silicon and Synapse. Does that name sound familiar to you at all, Mike? Sort of. Because you never know who these people are? Take a look at that one on the screen there. Blizzard Entertainment. Yeah. Wow. This is one of Blizzard, actually one of Blizzard's first games. And I'm wow. talking about Battle Chess. And uh, this is, it's a chess, it's just a, a straight up chess game. What's really interesting with this is that the characters are basically brought to life like, like you move the pieces like they would but then you see the characters actually walk and then when they and then they actually fight and like you have the, the king the queen the bishop the the rook and all that the, the pawns they all have their own kind of style and whatnot and based on who's taking who that's who, who win the fight so just it was a very uh, cool take on the uh, the whole chess game and this is you can actually uh if you go into steam you can actually buy this currently was it all overhead or did the fight scenes have like a cut in I can't remember. Uh, no, it just it all just it all overhead. Yeah. But yeah, this game yeah. this game still stands up to this day. I love this yeah. game back in the day. Wow, yeah. this is Blizzard. Yeah, my oldest memories of Blizzard would be Rock and Roll Racing on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, yeah quite quite the different origins for what we know Blizzard as now. This is oh yeah. wow, what a this great game. Nineteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. I was eight years old. So. Yeah, a really good chess game. And if you want to go see what I'm talking about, like I said, go on Steam. You can actually buy it. I think it might be uh, ten bucks or something like that. That's awesome. Yeah, very good. Excellent purchase. So, your first exposure to video games, Mike? My first exposure, well, I didn't own games. My cousins had Atari 2600. So, I, I, I very vague memories of playing Donkey Kong and yeah. some really crappy... Or they were great back then because I didn't know any better. I would have yeah. been three or four at the time. But then my first personal... Like, I've actually having my own game system was Christmas 88. I was thinking I was going to get a Nintendo and I ended up getting a Sega Master System. And that was my first ever console. So hang on to Safari Hunt and then Double Dragon after that. So... Yeah, the 8-bit era is really where I begin. But even before that, my brother had a Commodore 64. So those were truly... So I was in that whole like late 80s era. That's my my earliest memories. But being right there at the ground zero of of the Mario craze where everybody was just talking about Super Mario Brothers and and sharing all the secrets. And I remember being at church and we're we're talking about where the hidden one-up mushrooms were. It was was truly just... it It was something... It was a special era. And I don't think there's ever going to be anything like it again. Especially because, like we said, it was a reaction to the video game crash of 1983. Yeah. People were kind of counting out video games as a medium. And to see you know Shigeru Miyamoto come <laughs> in and just change the whole game, yeah. it, was, it was something truly incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Now, your last pick. All right. This is a good one. Childhood yeah. Christmas memory. And I always think, every time I think, I always think of that one meme online of that kid spazzing out while he's opening his N64. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm sure we've all had moments like that. Yeah. Mine personally wasn't a spaz out moment, but it was more of um, a defining moment for the rest of my life was Christmas 93. 
my brother got me a Genesis game and he must have had just a really great advisor at wherever he went, uh, whatever, st- it might have been Compu Center or something like that. Mm-hmm. He brings home Gunstar Heroes and I had never heard of this game. None of my friends had ever heard about it. Nope. Appar- and then I found out after that it had been voted best action game of the year by Electronic Gaming Monthly, just out of the blue. I'd never heard of Treasure Games out of Japan before. I'm thinking, what the hell is this, right? We put it on and right from the intro this is contra on steroids and to this day this is my favorite game of all time will always be my favorite game of all time this game is an adrenaline rush from start to finish very few missteps pushing the hardware to its utter limits the soundtrack to this day is one of the best soundtracks (laughs) i've ever heard in gaming treasure is one of those developers that has it has that 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 cult Credibility, yeah. Ikaruga. You know, you have Gunstar Heroes. You have Astro Boy in the game of Wits. Like, they're not like this widely known developer, but people who love them are mm. obsessed with them, and they keep asking them, "When's another Gunstar Heroes going to come out? When's you guys going to put out another game?" Because their last few games were pretty much limited to 3DS yeah. and like mobile. They they've done some remasters of Ikaruga on the Switch and PS4, but it's been a while since they've truly done something special. And I'm starting to see them tweet a lot more. Yeah. So I'm hoping we're going to get something because, Which man, they, they don't like doing sequels, even though they, they did a semi-sequel to Gunstar Heroes. But, man, they're just there's something else. We put that game in. I think we played it through it like three times that day, and I've been obsessed with that game. I play. I think I finish it at least once a year, and I'll never get bored of it. Nice. So for, for me, for Christmas uh, memories, and I'll mention my favorite game of all time, too, uh, once I uh, get through my pick here. For me, it's uh, Sega Game Gear. This was actually the very first uh, quote-unquote game console that I owned, but it was a handheld. And uh, this was, uh, I believe, Sega's only attempt um, in the the mobile gaming uh, platform there. Kind of, sort of. They did a Nomad, but that wasn't really like a separate system. It was a portable Genesis. But anyway, yeah. It was it was interesting. There, there were um, it was to compete head on with the the Game Boy at the at the time. But um, it was one of those ones where it, it was good. I remember, man, it was big. It was a battery sucker. It was a battery. You, I, I believe you needed one six or eight batteries. I think to to run off of it. I think it was either six or eight. I pretty uh, much played it plugged in most of the time. Yeah. It, it was it was good, but it wasn't without its faults. But I mean, it just uh, for me, um, it, it was my the first one that I actually kind of owned myself. And uh, the games were actually fairly limited on this. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole ton of choice, um, just because it wasn't really showcased that much. It was one of those ones where I think it, it, it uh, kind of flew below the radar. I think for a lot of people, but just because at that that point in time, the Game Boy was the the, the portable gaming console. At that time, Sega was doing better in, in Europe. Yeah. And, and, and in Asia. So whereas the Master System system pretty much died here, I'd say yep. in like 90, 1990, it was still thriving. And like yep. I remember going to Greece in 93 and they were still making games for it at that point. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, and so and, and basically anything that was coming out of Master System or Game Gear would be vice versa because it was kind of like the same guts. Really, at the time, it was a special machine because what do we have for full colored handles at the time? We had the Lynx, which was mm-hmm. shit. We had yep. and then the Game Boy, which was two colors, but had the better game library. Yeah. But the Game Gear had some guts. Again, it was just too expensive to keep putting batteries in that thing. It didn't last very long. And it had the TV tuner, too. Remember that? Yeah, yeah it did. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it was interesting. You had mentioned a thing uh, on a bit of a side topic here. You mentioned about uh, things stored and not really dying. Do you know that, that uh, I'm talking like music cassette tapes? Yep. That apparently, there are some places in the world. That, 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 I did some research on this. And it was actually, I was wondering, you know, what was the last kind of 
cassette uh, album or something that was put out, and I couldn't find one. That's because there's some places where they're actually still making them. Even some games will put out cassette soundtracks. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's that thing, you know, it's like the hipster thing. Yeah. People want to go back yeah. to these old analog technologies for better for us. Like, come on. Now all the hipsters are starting to collect VHS tapes again. Yeah. Like, that's that's for me. Yeah. Cassette, okay, cassettes I can understand because, you know, on a, on a good cassette, on a good system, the sound quality actually is very high. Mm-hmm. VHS, I don't get it. I just don't yeah. ever understand that. <laughs> the only really true dead music platform are eight track yes. uh, tapes. Um, Which was the just very a joke. And the, the very you can do some research on this, and uh, you find that the, the very very last eight track uh, tape, I guess you could call them, was put out was actually the greatest hits from uh, Fleetwood Mac. Ooh. That was the very last eight track tape to be produced. I remember the eight tracks very well. You can you can never actually get to start at the beginning of the track. It would just kind of <laughs> randomly find a location, and yeah. those things were were pretty bad. Pretty I think brutal. Sony was behind that technology yeah. back then. And you had mentioned with uh, Gunstrikers being your favorite game of all time. Uh, for me, uh, this might seem like a strange one to some people, but uh, and this is really kind of going back to those PC point and click days. I'm talking Full Throttle Ooh, from LucasArts and Tim Schafer and those guys. Uh, it was recently remastered actually, yep. and um, it came out on the iOS platforms as well. So. Yeah, that 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 to me is still just like the the soundtrack, the adventure kind of gameplay. Just it, uh, yeah. Tim Schafer's made a great comeback. Yeah, oh yeah, like I'm a little divisive on his politics or whatever, but you know his his games stand for themselves. I mean, yep. brutal legend. Now he's he's especially some of his recent re- re- releases like Knights and Bikes is getting a lot of buzz. Yep. Headlander, Costume Quest, I thought was fantastic. So yep. he he's definitely a very talented guy. Like you're saying, Full Throttle got remastered. Yep. Grim Fandango got remastered. Day of the so, Tentacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's yep. a, a great wealth of stuff there. And, and Psychonauts, yep. I recently got that through limited run on PS4. Yeah. Psychonauts 2 is coming out yeah. so there's there's a lot of great stuff from yeah. from Mr. Schaefer he definitely yep absolutely so yeah lots of kind of good stuff there some recent stuff some stuff kind of really going uh, rewinding the clock there for us but uh, kind of give you a taste of kind of what we're into uh, here for our listeners here uh, so before we do our final bite segment though let's do our tech tip of the week here and this was one that maybe seems kind of straightforward to some people but I definitely wanted to uh, hit on this at some point it's just about uh, keeping your technology. I mean, your phones, your computers, and whatnot, free of dirt and dust. Um, because over time, if too much of that crap kind of gets in there, you can run into some issues, especially with desktop computers and whatnot. Uh, when you start getting dust and dirt in there, it can actually be a fire hazard at some point. So if you get too much of it in there. Absolutely. So what what are your let's talk about some of your best ways to, to deal with your equipment. What do you what do you do? What let's do you start use? with the screens. Yeah, okay. Let's start with the what screens. What type of screen? We're talking about a desktop screen, laptop screen, phone screen? Any screen. Okay. For me, for any type of screen when it comes to desktop computers, whether you have a, an actual separate monitor, whether you have an all in one like I do, whether you have a, a tablet, you have a phone, microfiber is your best friend. Hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Don't don't be using tissues. Anything that le- that leaves lint. And and I can't stress this enough for free people. Don't use chemicals of any kind. If you're going to use a liquid, if you feel you need to use liquid, just use water. Because if you use, like, don't use Mr. Clean. Don't use any of these uh, Lysol wipes or anything like that. Yet you risk causing some damage. Let's just put it that way. I use my own, myself. I must look like I'm blowing my phone, like, literally. Like, <laughs> because I'm, like, literally, like that on that and wiping it. <laughs> Probably giving it a, 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 a job there, but it works. I don't need, I just breathe on my phone and I wipe it with a microfiber and it yeah. seems to do the trick. Yeah. But I guess apparently, okay, so it was funny. I just for fun, I sent you these two videos and yeah, yeah, there's that. some like and there's some love and hate on these videos. And some of their, their tips are kind of funny. Uh, yeah. Some of them make sense. Some of them I'm like, I'm not so crazy about. But yeah. they talked about based on the type of screen you're using, 
um, I think a mixture of vinegar and water onto yeah. a microfiber cloth with certain types of screens, right? Yeah. LCD on, specifically. On I LCD think panels. Yeah. I think um, I would just stick to water personally. And mo- right. Microfiber. You don't need to get too, too, too complicated. I mean, some of these were funny. He was talking about removing scratches with the help of toothpaste. I've heard that. I always thought that was kind of like an old wives' tale. I don't trust that because a lot of this toothpaste has like little grits in them, and, and uh, to me, that, that that would just create more scratches. Yeah, I'm not I, a fan I, of the I, idea at all. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Like K A S S, right? Uh, if you're getting gouges or anything on your screen, rather than use toothpaste uh, on it to turn, how about just not gouging your screen? I think that's probably a better tip. Whatever is happening that's causing the gouge, just stop doing that. Stop scraping your keys all over. Get a screen protector, damn yeah. it. Seriously. Stop doing that, yeah. yeah. Um, what about cleaning the inside of... Well, you don't really have to in your case, but let's say you did have a desktop. For me, I'm still the old yeah. duster can, although for some reason they're a lot harder to, to find these days, I yeah. think because maybe people were huffing from them or something. The big thing with those uh, spray things, because a lot of times there is kind of liquid, and some of them can actually be kind of flammable. Yeah. Uh, biggest tip with that is make sure the device is turned off and the power is completely disconnected from these things if you're going to do that. Uh, if you do this while it's on with some of the chemicals and stuff in this, you might essentially have a blowtorch on your hands. So uh, be very, very, very careful. Uh, when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, and, even, and I guess you can get even to more advanced stuff when you get into gaming PCs. Like, this isn't my forte, but even the positioning of the fans makes a huge difference in terms of, like, inflow and outflow. So that's where you might want to start going, checking out some advanced videos. But, yeah, I'd say every two weeks, it's pretty easy just to crack open your, your desktop, get in there, and, and just it, it keep it. Because, like I said, this stuff will eventually cake on, and it'll be a lot. It'll be hard to cool down your PC. Yeah. I guess probably the next thing to kind of hit on for cleaning, probably one of the hardest things and notoriously to keep clean are keyboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are very, very hard. Um, not every keyboard is kind of created equally. Some of these, uh, the one I'm holding in my hand that I'm actually showing you, Mike, is uh, the regular Mac uh, keyboard. Um, very compact, very sleek. Um, you know, just the one charging port that uses a landing port. And uh, through here at the top here, there's a, a little bit of plastic so that the signal and the Bluetooth are going to get through. But you'll notice that there aren't a whole lot of gaps uh, where the keycaps and stuff are. Some keyboards have wired gaps and others. So with those ones, if, if you have ones where you can see a lot of visible lines, the, the best kind of tip with that is is uh, just use a uh, like a uh, blow dryer or a hair dryer. Or if you have some good lung capacity, just blow on it. And um, for the big chunks, just hold the keyboard upside down and shake it. Shake it. That's basically it. Yeah. What about uh, gunk building up from your fingerprints on the keys? <laughs> Biggest tip of that is when you use your keyboard, don't have gunk in your hands. <laughs> Stop it watching. might seem simple, but yeah. Clean up after you're watching porn. <laughs> exactly. Or like if you're eating Cheetos before you, you before you start typing your keyboard, wash your hands and then you eliminate the problem of having dirty keyboards. Because when these things really start getting dirty, they get really hard to clean. What about, uh, let's see, what else can I and ask And another tip yes. along with that too, if you're going to clean your keyboard... Uh, make sure that you either unplug it or turn it off and make sure that you're not in the midst of, say, like typing out like a really important email to your boss or something. Because then if you hit a bunch of keys and you might end up maybe typing something weird by accident and maybe hitting send, just power down or unplug the keyboard before you clean these things. <laughs> common uh, sense, folks. I'll leave my comments out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about, uh, let's see here. Here's a good one I wouldn't mind asking you. What about earbuds? Any earwax pulled up? <laughs> That's tough. Those things get... 
disgusting. I know they do. They do. I heard you can use a, a dry toothbrush, but but be very gentle. You don't want to push the earwax further See, into the speaker, right? See, and, and that, that's my thing with, with these things. These hacks. Um, I mean, not necessarily maybe with the the Apple brand ones, but just finding replacements for me. Some of them are pretty affordable. Once these things kind of get jammed up and stuff like that, it's almost kind of easier to just go buy some new ones because things uh, are notoriously hard to. You can't really get into a lot of these uh, things. They're they're not very repairable. They're not easily cleanable. It's one of those things where I guess you know maybe again I'm going down this path again. Maybe just keep your ears cleaner and maybe they use a Q-tip. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's one of those things where yeah they're really really hard to keep clean. And yeah. and another tip too. Use your own earbuds. Don't use other people's. Oh, gross. That, yeah. that, that's just a cleanliness tip there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, when it, but especially when it comes to, I mean, cleaning the, the screens is probably the major thing because, you know, with these these phones and these tablets and whatnot, the screens have gotten a lot bigger over a fairly short period of time. When we first started using cell phones with Blackberries and stuff like that, the screens were fairly small and they were very easy to clean. But now that these devices have gotten bigger and more robust, there's a bigger surface to clean. And we get little grills, the speaker grills and earphone grills and stuff like that. So these things can be a little bit tricky to clean, but just do it on a regular basis and then it won't be as big of a problem. Yeah, it's not like you have to carry a microfiber cloth around with you all the time. It's no. just, you know, some regular maintenance and you just keep you extend the life. Uh, another thing too with the phone speakers, mm. like the actual like oh any tips for that at all? <laughs> um What's a, a good one? And actually, the, the guy made a pretty good tip there, those limp kind of rollers. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. The static will actually kind of pull some of that crap out of there. Yeah. But then in the interest of <laughs> debating some of these points and... Uh, I, the paper one, I wasn't a fan of. Yeah, people were making fun of them in, yeah. the, in the comments. Yeah, I'm just trying. If if you're actually interested in what the channel is called, Bright Side. Yes, yeah. The one it's called Ten Simple Ways to Remove Dirt from Your Computer. Yeah. The other one they were making fun of was Eight Cleaning Tips That'll Make Your Device Look Bomb Again. He, he suggested using paper, and he's using yeah. tissue, but he doesn't say tissue paper. And no, even it's that, paper, it's, it's, yeah. like, come on, it's just full of lint. That's not going to do anything for no. you. Doesn't make any sense. And the other thing too. I was watching Linus Tech Tips, okay, yeah. and he was he had some interesting theories on the whole. Okay, so one of the tips from Brightside was use a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, static electricity, anyone? Yeah. Good luck, yeah so like Linus that one, debunked yeah. that one pretty quick. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to be using a vacuum cleaner no. anywhere near your desktop. That's yeah. not a good idea at all. So. Yeah. Uh, again, use use a little bit of common sense, folks, and uh, that'll take you a long way. Yeah, I, I think so. your idea of the hair dryer was yes. a good one. Yeah. And like I said, make yeah. sure you're powering off if you're going to buy one of those those air dusters. Absolutely. Bingo, yeah, because that, that could be potentially really, really bad. Yes. Okay, so we're going to take a brief break here. We'll come back to our final bite segment here, and we're going to go through our 2020 wish list uh, of things that we want to see happen next year. So we'll be right back. This week's episode is brought to you by Microplay in Brand Frontier, Canada, located at 265 King George Road. Is a Chris and the gang for all of your video game needs. All right, guys, Big Joe and Mike back here on HTM Tech. I almost said Turnbuckle Talk. I almost said Turnbuckle Talk. So used to that because I've been doing that show for a lot longer than this one. But uh, I cannot fill Carl's shoes. Too too big to fill here. Okay. 
2020 wish list uh, here, Mike. Uh, yeah, yeah. We got a new year on the horizon. Yeah. Lots of rumor mills. Yeah, lots so of totally. unfinished things we've talked yep. about in the last few episodes that yep. we kind of want to put a bow on here. So we've got some here, and we'll kind of go back and forth as we did uh, earlier in the episode with a lot of the stuff here. So let us go with uh, my first one here. And this involves the, uh, the console I currently own. You know, Just recently we saw the new systems announced. Uh, looks like they're going to be coming late uh Coming up in 2020 here. My first one in the list here is I, I hope that, like a lot of earlier generations, that the support is still there and that uh, new games will still come out for a little while for it because I've literally only had this for probably about four or five months. That's a tough one to call, yeah. knowing Xbox's history because they pretty much didn't they pretty much kill. 360 fairly or did it did it last into the xbox one x generation did it pretty much kind of die off there's still you can still buy games on the 360 ones there's still support there i think it's the original xbox right they were very abrupt with it like they I, they once the 360 came out they basically right, yes. they basically just stopped it was very abrupt they not even like the ea even ea sports they stopped making games it would make sense it's all going to depend what the SKUs are going to be because we talked about yeah. three potential SKUs. Based on the guts of the, well, now we know it's called the Xbox. The yeah. whole entire, it's just going to be called Xbox. The Series X is just one of the iterations yeah. that's coming out. That's going to be the premium model. And based off what we're seeing in terms of the guts in this thing, we're, we're kind of, like we were saying, we're kind of predicting maybe a $600 Canadian price tag, 500 US. It's not going to be cheap by console standards, but it's going to be worth the money. Are there going to be cheaper versions? Sure. But is there still a reason to sell Xbox One Xs? I don't know. If they drop that thing down to 200 bucks, I'm game. I'm probably not going to get a Series X right away because I'm yeah. devoted to getting the PS5 next holiday yeah. season. I can't afford to do both. Yeah. So for me, as a collector, I, the idea of maybe a $200 Xbox One X that'll play backwards compatibility is yeah. very enticing for me next year. I, I wouldn't say no to something like that. I mean, even if, I, mean I, st- I, want, I want to at least get another two or three years of, the, of that thing before I go to the next one. Like I said, it looks great. And, uh, it still works great. And, and again, it brings up possibly a bigger issue with these kind of halfway through kind of updates, you know, because both Sony and Xbox did that uh, with this generation. We didn't see that really. Well, we saw um, kind of little tweaks to the actual hardware, but essentially the internals were the same. This was the, the first kind of generation where we saw kind of like a 0.5 update where they actually increased the performance on this. So it actually, that's why this uh, Xbox and was was legitimately surprising to me because this was still fairly new well think about the the eighth generation which was the ps4 and xbox one x so they were both trying to beat each other to the punch in terms of price so the ps4 was famously underpowered like it used pc architecture but by all standards to this day still does not feel like a next generation machine it doesn't feel like the leap from ps3 that ps3 from ps2 was yeah right and 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 that's the thing so they definitely skimped on hardware to get it to that famous price point where they beat the xbox by like a hundred bucks because it included connect but i'd say definitely the hardware suffered and it forced that mid-generation upgrade because even by then it was Mm. just it wasn't even close to what people on pc gaming were doing and we're used to getting those 60 frame speeds like those those higher resolutions but uh i don't know do, do you do you think that was a good idea doing that mid-generation leap or could I, they have just waited 
it's almost one of those things that's like, I almost wish they would have just done this instead. Because, I mean, this, uh, the one I have, the Xbox One X, like, compared to the previous, uh, the other 360, that, it feels like a, like a major leap. But, I mean, the Xbox, when you put this up against the Xbox One, it's uh, it's almost like, kind of like, why didn't we just do this instead? Yeah, and the PS4 Pro, I, I just don't really get it all. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to put it down, but I didn't buy one. Yeah. I just felt it was overpriced for what it is, especially when it's not doing true 4K. Yeah. It's just, like I said, I, I hope to see a major price reduction on the next year because here's the thing. We don't know how backwards compatibility is going to work on PS5. Is it going to be all encompassing? Is it going to be just limited to first party games and major third parties? Do I still need to have a PS4 in my life? I would like to see a cheaper PS4 Pro, and I think that's a great way to, to keep them chugging along while all the other early adopters rush to PS5. We'll see. I don't know. That, that brings up your first thing on the wish list, the uh, the backwards compatibility. Of the I'm PS5. just keeping my fingers crossed on this. We're, we're hearing all the rumors because now we know officially Xbox announced that they're going to be fully backwards compatible with the p- previous three generations, which I think, yeah. again, is amazing because... It's not only the fact that you can play these old games, but you can play them again with new eyes. I remember Metal Jesus, who I mentioned before, showed SSX3 from the OG Xbox generation running on an Xbox One X, and this thing looked amazing. It was actually up-res, like a better frame rate. It looked like a a polished, remastered game. And, And... I'm not necessarily asking for that. That would take a lot of time and effort to go back and make all these PS2 and one games look great. But just the fact that you could even pop them in and play them, mm-hmm. we deserve to have that. And again, I know that they want to sell these games digitally on storefronts, but I think it would just be a gesture of goodwill and to show that they're in line with the competition. If Xbox is doing it, there's no reason the PS5 can't at least come out with maybe PS3 come backwards compatibility, yep. but add it all. Seriously, there's no reason you can't put... I, I don't. I still don't get to this day why you can't play PS1 games on a PS4 when you could do it on PS3. Made no sense to me whatsoever. Yep. So I want them to fix this and just have that whole ecosystem ready. I think that would do a lot of goodwill because they, they can't ignore the collectors. They're still out there. They still want physical media and it'd be great absolutely. just to be able to access that whole whole archive. Yep, absolutely. So uh, my number two thing on my wish list here is uh, definitely a, a big wish and I think something that's always... There's always been kind of that rumor there and I'd really like to see them kind of pull the trigger. So I'm talking about Apple and them building a standalone actual television. You know, they they, they do the, the Apple TV set-top box. And I, I, I do own one of those, and it does it very, very well. But, I mean, when you just look at the hardware that Apple does and has been doing lately, I mean, why not do a TV? You know I think it's going to be $6,000, though. Would, <laughs> Well, that, that's, that, that, that really depends, right? Like uh, on what market they want to go for. And that could be something why they've held back on is, is because of the price. That if you were to make a prediction, be... what would set Apple an Apple television apart from, say, a Samsung QLED, for example? Like I said, just the, the hardware itself and just the, and the design. The, the integration, right? Because that's one, one thing that uh, I'll use an old Apple tag that they use. Uh, this is insanely great. That's a line that they used to use all the time. And just the, the way that Apple, they, they can just visually kind of please you with what it does. And if, the, but the, like you had said, the, the big stumbling block there is the price of what it could potentially be. And I think that that's probably why it hasn't seen the light of day. It's got to have some killer functionality for the average like consumer is going to say, yeah. hey, this 4K is like 1500 You can get a 4K 15... A 65-inch QLED right now for 1500 bucks, And yeah. that, like we were saying last episode, those are pretty much optimized for next-generation gaming in terms of refresh yep. rate. So if they were going to do it, they've got to have something that's going to set them apart from the competition. Yep. I think maybe the retina display might play something into that. Maybe Could be, yep. more technology built into the TV itself. Yeah. 
When we just look at that, uh, we done the last episode when we looked at that XDR display. Yeah. Uh, for the Mac Pro, I mean that is close to six grand. Yeah. And uh, that's a relatively small screen too, right? right? So and that's not really TV. Um, family room size so yeah potentially a uh, a full-on apple tv built with the full apple philosophy could be really expensive so that's a very good point but you know it'd be it would last a heck of a long time and be very well built absolutely well i'm gonna skip my number two and come to that later because i want to stick on the topic of apple this actually just came up in the last week and uh very Mm. interesting story so this came out of uh this was actually on bloomberg but because i don't have a subscription to bloomberg i got this off fast company so this was uh an article on December 20th, mm-hmm. just recently, called Apple wants to bypass carriers and learn and then beam internet data directly to iPhones via satellite. Mm. So, what was it, two or three episodes ago, we were talking about quote unquote Apple Prime yep. and the whole idea of re- Apple revolutionizing maybe with a whole subscription service instead of charging a la carte, having everything bundled together. They're thinking about just dispensing yeah. with service providers all together what do you think joe because you're 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 the apple guy you tell me how that impacts you possibly going forward Uh, uh, that's a big thing that uh and i've actually got it up here too that uh, it's listed as a a company priority and um for them to want to go with uh, satellite uh, for all this kind of stuff when i first saw this uh, immediately i thought the satellite technology is old technology this, this almost feels like a step backwards when we look at what potentially with 5G could be what LTE is now. I mean, satellite uh, communications is somewhat unreliable, especially when uh, weather conditions get bad and when not, there's interruption with signal. I mean, there's a reason why you don't see a lot of satellite dishes on top of homes anymore because that's not really a reliable way. I mean, we do it uh, cable TV. We do it over essentially over Wi-Fi or a, uh, an internet connection now. It's not done through the original, uh, through the old cable way or through satellite anymore. So it, for me, just it, it's a really puzzling uh, decision here, and it's supposedly a very high priority in the company. But That's it, what Tim Cook's saying, this company is, priority. This satellite technology is old stuff here, Mike. Well, here let's read some of the articles. It says, according to the report, Apple has a quote-unquote secret team of engineers specializing in aerospace satellites and antenna design working on the project. And here is from the Bloomberg article. Yeah. Apple's work on... This is the big part I noticed from the article. Yeah. Apple's work on communication satellites and next-generation wireless technology makes the means the aim is likely to beam data to user's device, potentially mitigating the dependence on wireless carriers yeah. or for linking devices together without a traditional network. Yeah. Apple could also be exploring satellites for more precise locations tracking for its devices, enabling improved maps and new features. So Damn. I'm sure they're well aware of the limitations of the technology. I'm sure they're working on something, but regardless, this is their line in the sand. This is a foot in the door to say, hey, we're we're going to revolutionize the telecommunications industry because here in Canada, like, you know, um, hitting the marks is mostly American personalities. We've got the Canadian perspective. We yeah. pay a lot for our phones. Mm-hmm. I get six gigs of data yeah. on my current plan, and I'm paying over a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. It, it's ridiculous. Like how much we're still paying for these plans. I, 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 this is, this is why this is on my wish list. I want to see Apple force all these service providers to just all completely overhaul the system here. We've already seen them. This do previously when the, the iPhone first came out up until that point, cell phones were just loaded with stuff that basically the, the devices would be made, and the carriers would dictate what would go on these devices. Uh, they would put all a whole this bunch of junkware they had to remove, yes, and all this kind of stuff. Whereas Apple came along and just said, "You guys worry about the back end and all the communication stuff like that. We'll worry about making the device and what actually goes on the device." They were the first company to actually to those companies and just say, 
this is the right way to do it. You know Google's yeah. next, right, on some type of announcement, right? It, this is going to be like the new satellite race. Yeah, it very well could be. Because uh, how, yeah. how, is, how is Android, Samsung, Google Pixel, yeah. all these other phone competitors, how are they going to compete in this, this new, like when Apple's just totally creating their own ecosphere? Yeah. It's going to be a very interesting. Very, very interesting. This is surprising. I, I don't think it, uh, a lot of people are aware of this, so I'm glad that we're able to uh, to shed some light on this because it's a, it's a pretty big deal if they essentially cut out the uh, the cell phone providers. Yeah, this is going to revolutionize a, yeah. a lot of things. So yeah. I, I, I would say this is kind of exciting. Yep. And um, yeah, especially if they can make the service better. I think that that, uh, that would then be a good thing. And like I said, if, if, they, if you're combining that with a new overhauled subscription service and you're basically not even buying your phone outright, <laughs> you're just kind of renting it like a cable box. Yeah. Overall, win-win for the consumer. Yeah. Like I said, I don't personally, I don't care about owning a cell phone. I don't see it as a, a device that I really, yep. like. Not, I don't look at it like a console or a desktop computer where you're going to spend many years with it. A cell phone is just kind of like a means to the next phone. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm more power to Apple to lower the overall cost, hopefully. Yeah. So my next one here is uh, probably a bit of a surprise to some people. Cause, uh, again, if you listen to our podcast, you know, I'm pretty pro-Apple. I do talk a lot about Apple stuff here. But I want to talk about some Microsoft stuff here. And I want to talk about Windows, okay? This platform is long overdue for, like, an actual – I mean, yeah, Windows has been updated quite a bit. I mean, we've had – you know, going back to the beginning, we've had, we had the original Windows, which was stolen from Apple. Uh, people can disagree with that or anything – that's just a fact, okay? It is and, a fact. Uh, and yes, Apple's, their their thing was stolen from Xerox. So yeah, they stole from, from somebody that stole from somebody else. But then, you know, we got Windows 3.1, we got Windows 95, we got Windows 98, and, and all the way down the line to 7, 8, and now uh, Windows 10. When you really look at the Windows platform, it's really, it's relatively hasn't really changed all that much. And now when you look at the competition, like what uh, what I use here, I, I use OS. Uh, well, it's not called OS 10. It's called Mac OS. And you've seen some of the functionality. Even just when you've been here, Mike, uh, how I can airplay to to our TV here, so that you can kind of see what's going on, and just the you know being able to quickly switch back and forth uh, from apps that are running, and just kind of uh, and then kind of an overall look of what's kind of going on. I mean, just functionality wise, I think they've really fallen behind. Uh, on the actual operating system, and I, I think it's time to just go back to the drawing board and just really come up with something different because Windows has relatively stayed the same for quite a long time. That tablet overlay, I don't think I've used it once Ugh. since I bought my desktop. Yeah. I, I uh, Windows 10, like I don't use it. It's, it's I know it's intended for Surface, for yeah. a touch Surface, but if you're just working in a desktop sense, it's so annoying and unnecessary. Yeah. I, I literally just go back to the desktop every single time, but you're right. like Nothing much has changed, and, and from what you're showing me, like the, the ecosystem of Apple is just so fluid going back and forth. It just feels a lot more disjointed with Microsoft. I don't know if that's ever going to be fixed. And another thing, too, to, to make another comparison something I think they need to adopt, too, uh, the operating system itself uh, I believe going back to probably I think two or three years now, uh, the the Mac operating system is free, going from there onwards, and their whole suite of, of other productivity. I'm talking Pages, Numbers, um, Keynote, and uh, you know GarageBand, iMovie, all that stuff. That stuff is all bundled for free. Um, that's something that Microsoft needs to adopt. That they need to take that hit on the software in the OS and then, you know, you can actually maybe even charge more, or even increase the quality of your actual hardware because, you know, you've just, you, 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 you take that hit on the software. 
I'm actually just looking up something I just you made me think of. Um, I heard something recently in the news about Microsoft overhauling Microsoft becoming Office for Life. Have you heard about this? I have not heard about that. Okay. I can't find it right now. We're going to have to yeah. do it as a takeaway. Yeah. As to maybe something that could be a positive. Maybe we'll we'll revisit that in a future episode once yeah. we've something on so that. I think there's the Office 360 uh, stuff. Yeah, there. but apparently not, I, what I've heard, I think it's like a one-time cost and you're in there, I think. And maybe there might... You still got to pay for it. There's yeah. got to be some yeah. kind of, There's got to be something more to that. So anyway, I'm, yeah. I brought that up. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that one. The, I think for those things, they, they, they need to, I think, adopt the same... Uh, Apple, uh, the same as Apple when it comes to that for the for the cost for this stuff, yeah. the operating system in your in your main suites. I think you need to give that to your customers, and then you can, the, the customers I think will be willing to pay a little bit more for the hardware, considering that you're you're getting that stuff for free essentially. All right, so getting back into some uh, gaming stuff, just yeah. real quick. Uh, really, not much to say, but I'd say in line with with. Uh, PS5 and Xbox on the horizon. We talked about what's the future looking like for Switch. I would argue, at least in the meantime, really good. Because yeah. their first part titles are, are next to none. They they innovate. But at some point, the limitations of the hardware are probably going to show. Especially when we start seeing all these fancy new graphics next November and December. What's next for Nintendo? I th- We've been hearing a lot of rumors for the last few months that there's going to be possibly a Switch Pro. I think that makes mm. a lot of sense. The Switch has been out for a few years now. I don't think it would hurt anybody to put out maybe a 0.5 you know, model increase where maybe work plays 4K. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be easily scalable because the games are already on little cards where you could simply keep the same type of interface, just make them more high capacity, put more guts in the system. The actual, when you take it out of the dock, maybe go from 720 to 1080p. I'd say that's a, a great way for them to at least stay relevant and, and keep pushing hardware sales. Even without that, though, they've got a pretty stable lineup, but without maybe a hardware upgrade... I'd say after about another year or two, things are going to start to look a little rough. Once, especially once the PS5 and Xbox Series X really start to hit their stride, about maybe two years into their life cycle, mm-hmm. we're going to have to see something more come out of Nintendo. And I think it would be just easy instead of coming out with a new console, just kind of build up from what they've already established. I think to do that, they might have to get out of using the little—they're—they're they're not cartridges. They're—they're they're, they're basically they're, they're little flash drives, right? Uh, which I mean. We, is on almost every kind of major device, like our, our cell phones, our tablets. Uh, a lot of computers use use flash storage now, and that's essentially what these things are—the little flash drives. Um, the 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 read speeds and are very very fast on them. Uh, they might have to maybe upgrade that a little bit to handle the the 4K. And this is one thing that Nintendo's always been a little reluctant to kind of ju- jump uh, to kind of jump on these uh, tech bandwagons when it comes to HD, when it comes to 4K. It's so funny yeah. too because traditionally they always they they used to lead hardware, right? Yeah. Super Nintendo was more now powerful than the Genesis. Yeah. The GameCube was way more powerful than the PS2. Mm-hmm. N64 was much more powerful than the PS1. Right. And then that's when the Wii era is when they took the step back. They started to go for innovation and functionality yep. versus hardware. And that's when they really lost the technological race. So I don't think they'll ever <laughs> catch up again. But at least it'd be nice to, to see them get a few more years out of that Switch by just at least giving it that 4K upgrade. With me, with Nintendo... Just stick to their strength. It's all about the games. Absolutely, not about, not about satisfying the the hardcore uh, the, the Nintendo uh, people. Uh, they they know their audience and uh, just stick to that. I think if they step out of their wheelhouse, and they they could potentially run into problems. It's true. Stick it's to true. what works. It's it true. works for them. So uh, for myself, my last one is something that you've discussed before. I'm talking reducing the price of digital games. I'm I'm talking on every platform, especially when. 
these same things exist in a physical medium. If you're going to sell them digitally, you know, without packaging, without uh, having to ship these things, the price should be a lot lower. I mean, when you look at brand new games, when you go onto the Xbox Marketplace, when you go onto the PlayStation Network, we're still looking at 80 bucks. It's ridiculous. Unless you, you are like right now in this season where you can get a lot of games for pretty cheap because they, they really discount them, you know, during Black Friday, during uh, Christmas time. You can get some good deals on some digital games. But during the regular time of year, these new games are 80 bucks. Plus, if that doesn't include all the DLC and all that stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, not, I get these, these, these game budgets are ballooning and they need to recoup costs and all this stuff. But, Come on, you can't, like, we're in North America. We can't sell these games back. Once you own it, you own it. It's not like Europe where you can actually re-gift these games or sell them on the stage. I think that's coming soon, uh, hopefully eventually. But at this point, it just just doesn't make sense. There's no packaging. There's no transportation costs. It's literally just downloading this. And especially we've talked about this with Stadia. It's outlandish what these game prices are. I think that's one of the major things holding back Stadia. It just doesn't make any sense at all. These these, 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 uh, prices are ridiculous. So, yeah, we need to start. And And I think that... Xbox is going to be a pioneer with Game Pass in changing this whole idea. So the fact yeah. that Gears 5 came out day one on Game Pass surprised the hell out of everybody. Yeah. Right there. Like yeah. like one of the games of the year available day one on, on, on Game Pass. I think that's an yeah. incredible feat right there. Well, a lot of their first party games are going to appear on their, on their day, day one, one right? Which is, a, which is a big deal. And I think if we're not going to totally reduce the, the price on these, I think what they you need to find some kind of happy medium. It, and maybe what you do is when you do the, the pre-order stuff, offer some offer like at least like 10 or 15% off or something. Something. To uh, to offset that cost, because like you said, without the packaging and the shipping, why are we still paying full price? Yeah, or take the special edition with all the bells and whistles DLC and make that the same price as the base physical game. And there, yeah, at least I can say, at least that's fair. Yeah. So yeah, definitely something to look at. Mine is more just kind of a wish and a prayer. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so obviously, okay, well, for, for time, I'll just kind of skimp over this one. I definitely want to see more public debate around 5G versus fiber optics. Absolutely, yeah. There's a reason why Israel's banned 5G. They're the ones who created it. Now they've banned it, and they're opting for fiber optic technology to power the nation. Yeah. It's safer. It's faster. Very fast. But it doesn't go along with the deep pockets of the wireless industry, which is trying to co-opt infrastructure. So anyway, yeah. that's something... I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's wishful thinking, but I gotta throw it out there. But really, my sure. big thing is I want to see Trump do something about big tech. Yeah. I, it's not necessarily I want him to be an authoritarian and come down hard or take away sec- necessarily just take away Section Thirty protections. But we gotta see what happened to Standard Oil at the turn of the 20th century, the breakup of big tech. They are too powerful. We already discussed this. What's It's beginning an ongoing saga with, with YouTube censorship. Now it's just getting yeah. more and more farcical. Now Twitter is censoring more and the, the, the it's just gotten utterly ridiculous. I, I think we need to start taking some of the power away from these platforms because they're not going away anywhere. Most of the people we know still use these platforms. There may be alternatives, but at the end of the day, most of the traffic still goes there, and we're finding less and less of the voices we want to see because they don't fit in line with the leftist narrative. So not to get too political, but I, I think it's time. Yep. You had mentioned Big even just uh, specifically on YouTube, uh, going from just being uh, a platform to now, it's almost like they're like they want to like essentially oversee and really kind of even tweak or produce the content that we're putting out. They become you know, curators now. Yeah, That's basically I mean, it. just uh, you, you, it's really hard to to be both there. And, and 
what if uh, did, what did we mention the other week? We were saying what happens if PewDiePie leaves the floor platform yeah. well 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 pewdiepie is taking a break yeah. he's starting to feel it yep. i'm telling you right now it's a shaky foundation yeah. it doesn't matter how big these platforms are my, myspace was pretty big back in the day too right. and that's it, gone it crashed so, hard yes so yeah. the, the, I, i'm starting to see the writing on the wall yeah. we're in this transitory phase where a lot of creators are going off and doing their own thing I don't know. I don't, I don't know where, where it lies. Like it's it's really hard to just have all these different sites bookmark. It's nice to go to one place and see everything, but maybe we yeah. just got spoiled. Maybe that's not a reality anymore. I don't know. That's one reason why the the podcast platform is really starting to kind of flourish is that it is still a relatively open platform. Or you know, again with within common sense, we can kind of uh, have an, an open kind of voice out there. And you mentioned PewDiePie. I mean, uh, there's a guy. I mean, uh, Tufts. I mean, he's been doing uh, it since since kind of the beginning, and. And he's got a relatively tough skin when it comes to this kind of stuff. I mean, he even addresses trolls directly and he's the videos and whatnot. Even he is getting to the point where it's like, I think I have had enough. It's not just politics either. I was reading an article <laughs> yeah. about YouTube burnout yeah. the other day too. It's like they're, they're slaves. Content every day. They're slaves to the every algorithm, day, right? Yeah. Because it's like, yeah. it's the algorithms dictating how often they have to put out new content because they yeah. get used to the stats, the tracking. It's, and I, I hear this constantly. If you're not putting out videos regularly, you're done. People forget about you. And, and I'm, saying maybe we all just need to take a step back about how we consume entertainment because <laughs> it's getting a little outlandish here because he's getting up into really high territory i actually looked at this recently i had to i did kind of like a triple take there and you look at the number of subscribers he is he's up to 102 million it's unbelievable like i don't think there's anybody that, that, that touches he's the biggest that right thing now. on youtube 100 yeah. absolutely 100 percent. if he goes like even you look at his little profile picture that even that right that there that yeah says, uh, that that says a lot and he and he I think he deactivated his Twitter account too I believe so yeah yeah that's right so yeah. there there is interesting stuff happening on YouTube yeah. there's definitely a backlash I mean like we said even when you hear like video game streamers who are fairly fairly benign like they're not even political video flagged for false information PewDiePie oh my gosh <laughs> I'm seeing this more often now even Facebook yeah. is starting to flag memes. Yeah. Like they're saying, oh, this is, oh, we're fact-checking this meme. This is exactly what I was afraid of. Yeah. This is exactly what it is. Just taking the humor out of everything, missing the whole point of what the inter made the internet great. Yeah. And I just want to give to all those authoritarians out there, when you push something underground, you're creating a bigger monster than you ever intended. So yep. watch what you do. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't word that any better myself. All right, man. That about wraps up here for this week. I don't think there's really any kind of breaking news. I mean, we covered a lot in this episode. Yeah, it's the end of the year. It's kind it's of a, quiet. It's a big year en ender for us. Uh, actually, yeah. I think uh, we'll look at the calendar. We might actually get one more episode in before the end of the year. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, we, we covered a lot there. So, uh, and you got to learn quite a bit about us as uh, as fans of technology and definitely gaming. I mean, just the, the two have always gone hand in hand with that. So Yeah, much different experience being in a studio than over Skype. So it was, yes, it was a pleasure, pleasure being here. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's uh, end the episode like we usually do yeah, here. Music track. Yeah, this is a fun one here. And uh, like I mentioned, when we were talking about Shazam, and I was watching a, uh, a trailer for the new Cyberpunk uh, 2077 coming out. So I went, I want to know where and what the song is. So we're going to play this for uh, for ending track here. This comes from DJ Hyper in 2014, and the song is called Spoiler. And this is the theme song for Cyberpunk 2077. So we'll see you guys on the next one. And Merry Christmas, guys. If you celebrate, if you don't, happy holidays. Be good and be safe. <laughs>